Welcome everyone to today's devotion. We're in Revelation chapter 3, and uh, we are going to conclude our look at the seven churches of Revelation. So remember, I know we've emphasized this previous two two days, um, that Revelation um, is a circular letter. It, It is attached to each of these churches. So these seven churches would have received this letter from John the Revelator, and uh, thus the book of Revelation uh, applies to their current situation. And the primary means by which it applies is through uh, presenting Christ as he is in all of his glory, and that Christ will return um, in the future. Well, uh, we, we see the, first of all, the, the Sardis church, and then we look at the Philadelphia church and the Laodicean church. And the Sardis church is the dead church. Um, and you may recall that each of the letters uh, ends essentially the same way, um, but they begin uh, following the same pattern, but use a different imagery. Sardis says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, uh, the seven stars representing uh, um, uh, the, the, the messengers of, 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 of each church, of course, seven lampstands represents the church. Seven spirits of God's matter of debate. I, I don't want to chase a lot of those, those sort of rabbits. Obviously, seven is an important number seven churches and seven runs throughout the Bible, but also certainly the, the book of Revelation. Um, but Sardis is the dead church. Verse, um, the end of verse 1, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So would you have a, one of the patterns you see, particularly in chapter 3, in these three churches, is um, the appearance of being um, in, uh, healthy, appearance of being a good church, appearance of being righteous, but but inwardly uh, are, are dead. Um, and this certainly describes the Sardis church. Um, they, they look to be alive. They have a reputation of being alive. Uh, but but inside it is it is a different story. So what you have here is spiritual death uh, among one of the churches is that they are not consistent, uh, consistently living out uh, the gospel or the mission of of the church. Um, and so he exhorts them, verse three: Remember then what you received and heard; keep it and repent. You may have noticed that in uh, most of these letters there is that theme of remembrance and repentance. They go hand in hand. Um, that, that when we get off track, the answer is to remember the track that we were on and while we were on that track, and then through repentance, get back back on it. Um, this is why repentance is the idea is, is, is like a U-turn. You're going the wrong direction. You need to go, go the right direction. So they are dead and need to be made alive. Verse 4, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Uh, there's a lot there. Um, the idea of soiling the garments means that they 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 haven't become unclean, right? And so I suspect what you have is uh, the Gnosticism we saw in chapter two. Remember the works of the of the uh, uh, Nicolaitans uh, who were turning the grace of God into a license to sin, um, particularly with uh, sensuality and whatnot. I suspect that that's pretty consistent with most of these churches. 
Um, and so when it talks about garments polluted and that most of the membership have been polluted morally, uh, that may be uh, what it is that he is picking up on. That This has spread throughout all of these churches, uh, and he confronts them in, 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 in a unique way. But, but he says that those who haven't polluted their garments, they will receive white robes. Well, what we find in the book of Revelation is uh, those in the presence of Christ are given white robes. Um, I believe it's chapter 5. Uh, not chapter 5. It would be uh, 6 or 7, somewhere around there. You have the, um, uh, the uh, martyrs crying out from under the altar. And um, they are given white robes and told to wait longer. Well, remember that what we have in some of these churches are suffering saints. Uh, some have been martyred. Some are still suffering. And the idea is wait a little longer um, and, and Christ's just, justice will will appear. And you have something similar going on here. White obviously representing purity, holiness, righteousness, whatnot. And, and later on in Revelation, the white robes are dipped in lamb's blood. And it's a beautiful imagery uh, that they are uh, white because of the lamb of God. Um, and uh, uh, then you see that I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Well, um, that is um, the dead church. Let us quickly move on to the faithful church. And this is really, you want to be the church of Philadelphia. Um, of, of the seven churches, this is the one where uh, Jesus really has nothing but, but praise to, to give them. Uh, you see the imagery there in verse 7, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one um, opens. Uh, there's a lot there. Um, what, what, are these, what does the key of David represent and whatnot? I, I don't want to, in our study of Revelation, I don't want us to get distracted by a lot of those details. Uh, and there's some ambiguity with, with some of it. Uh, verse 8, he says, I know your works. That's pretty consistent uh, with, with most of these letters. Uh, Behold, I've set before you an open door for which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you who have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Um, that synagogue of Satan takes us back to what we saw in chapter 2 with the earlier churches. Um, it seems to be uh, legalistic, fundamentalistic uh, Judaism. Um, uh, the Judaizers is what they're called in the book of Galatians. And, and, and what they do is they, they heap a judgment on Christians who, particularly Gentile Christians, who, who say that, that grace is of faith alone um, and not of works. The Judaizers come in and say, yeah, if you want God to love you, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And so what you see in these, these, these seven churches, you have this pull between uh, extreme fundamentalism, which is a legalism, and extreme um, libertarianism, uh, which is called antinomianism. Where, so one says the law is everything, the other says the law is nothing. Um, but, but what you have here in the middle is Christ. Uh, Christ is the fulfillment of the law who, who uh, draws us to holiness, not to licentiousness. Um, so Christ is the answer. When talking about this this constant um, swing between these two extremes, um, legalism on the one hand, libertarianism on the, on the other, uh, Martin Luther used the imagery of a drunken German trying to get on a horse. Remember, Luther is a German. He can, he can use that imagery. And what we say is, is that the church has swung between these two extremes. Like a drunken German, tries to get on the horse, and what happens is he ends up tipping to, to, to the other end. And so in order to correct that he's, he's on the wrong side, he tries to get back on the horse and ends up tipping to the other end. I'm willing to bet in... in 
for many who may be watching or listening to this, in your lifetime, you, you've seen uh, the American church, not to mention America in general, go from one extreme to the other. Perhaps you grew up in a, in a very uh, formal church um, where you had to dress a certain way, how to carry yourself a certain way, how to talk a certain way, how to live a certain way, how to work a certain way. Like everything was, was there was a, a culture of, of legalism, right? And uh, I still remember how much trouble I got in uh, when I had the audacity to, to move the wise men at church uh, in, in the other end of the sanctuary. Um, you just don't do that, right? That, that is inappropriate. We don't, we don't do that around here. Um, and, and there was all these little rules that if you violated, uh, you, you, you weren't a good person, right? Um, well, now what we see is actually a swing to the other side. Um, and what we see is a justification for unholiness. Um, and it isn't just theological liberalism that, that's doing this. We are doing the, the swing on, on the other end. And then what you have is legalists don't want to be libertarians, and libertarians don't want to be legalists. And so instead of seeing both are extremes, what we need is Christ, what they do is, is, is they just throw arrows at each other. Um, and, and society will constantly swing from one to other. And guess what's going to happen in the next 50, 100, 200, 300 years is, is after we get tired of libertarianism because we know it doesn't give us the joy and contentment that, that it, it tells us it can, we're going to swing towards legalism. And, and the one balance there is the gospel. Most religions promote legalism. Islam, Judaism, Mormonism, whatnot, um, and it's usually secular religion. Um, in although now, in the name of libertarianism, it's actually quite legalistic. Uh, if you ain't woke, then you ain't worthy of grace. Uh, of course, grace doesn't exist with secularism. Nevertheless, um, we we see that balance in the these seven letters that that we don't want to be one or the other. We want to be focused on Christ. Verse eleven, he says, "I am coming soon." Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast to it. Finally, we get what's probably the most well-known of the seven churches. That's the church of Laodicea. And that is, of course, the lukewarm church. He starts in verse 14. The angel of the church of Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, um, verse 15 goes on. I know your works, again, consistent with almost all, if not all, of the seven churches. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you be either cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, what we do with a lot of this is we come to this, and, and, and I've heard the sermons, unfortunately, usually in revival, um, and they would say, look, God wants you either for him or against him. Pick one here tonight. And then we're going to sing all 80 verses of Just As I Am, um, and uh, the preacher will talk over the, the, all the verses that we're singing, hoping that someone will come forward and decide to be, I guess, hot instead of cold. I guess it would work here. Um, I'm not sure that's what he, Jesus means by this language. Um, geographically, what you have is near Laodicea. Is you had two nearby towns. One had a hot spring, and the other town had a, had a very cool water. And so you could go there, and you could... Uh, enjoy the cold uh, water over here. You can enjoy the, the warm spring over there. And then if you came to Laodicea, what you had was tepid, dirty, lukewarm, nasty water. And it was the sort that when people would come to Laodicea and drink the water, they would spit it out. It's nasty. Right? Um, and so Jesus is using their location right, as an illustration of their spiritual state. Look, Jesus says... Um, Hot is useful water. 
code is useful water. What isn't useful, at least for the purpose of, of drinking, cleaning, whatever, is this lukewarm, nasty stuff. He says, this is you. You, you, you give the impression of, of being healthy, but you're not. In fact, notice he says, verse 17, you say, I am rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. That is so, so, so you claim everything's going okay. God is really blessing us. We must be doing everything right. What does he say there? You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, um, poor, blind, and naked. You really are the emperor with no clothes. Everyone else can see. There isn't, there isn't life there. So in this sense, they're similar to the Sardis church, the dead church. That they believe everything is okay, but Christ sees for who they really are. Um, so he, he adds in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Now we're, we're, we're losing that as a culture, but I think we understand that, that if you love your children, you will discipline them, right? Um, and and be, because you want what is best for them. I tell the kids all the time, like, my job is to lead you to be uh, a godly man and woman and a good citizen of these United States, right? Um, and and it isn't my job for, to be your friend. I mean, hopefully we can be friendly and, and be friends, but I, ha- I have a job, and, and out of love, it, it requires discipline. Um, so, Jesus says, be zealous, hot or cold, and repent. So, so the answer to this lukewarm, tepid Christianity is, again, remember and repent. And then verse 20 is perhaps the best-known verse of the two chapters with the seven churches, chapters 2 and 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, the way, again, we hear this is an evangelistic call, repent. And, and it is that, right? I mean, we just read, repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? But who is he calling to repent? Christians. This is this is why um, our exegesis is vital to um, how we apply the text. The context is not to non-believers. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And the problem with that imagery is it it makes Jesus um, like a like a sales weasel who sure would like to come in and tell you all the good stuff he he can he can give them. But he can't open that door. What a shame he can't open that door. But the gospel tells us that Jesus gives life to the dead. And so if, if we use this verse for evangelism, what we need to realize is when Jesus knocks on the door, on the other end is a dead skeleton that needs to be revived. Right? That's what the gospel does. Here the imagery is towards believers. You need to repent. And chances are, uh, I have mostly believers watching this or listening to this later on the podcast. And and perhaps, really, we need to see that this text is writing to us. Have you ever considered the fact that the majority of the Bible is written to believers, particularly the New Testament? It's not written to non-believers. It's written to believers. And so the call to repent, to, to be humble, to, to be holy is to believers who have forgotten or failed to fulfill that calling in their lives. See, as Jesus stands at the doors and knock and, and let him in and, and um, share a meal with him. And, and the means by which that happens is, he told us in verse 19, repent. Dear believer, repent. Well, that's the seven letters to the seven churches. Um, where we go from here, chapters 4 and 5 are two of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, particularly chapter 5. 
So uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, we'll look at those. What we see is, is again, the, the curtain being pulled back, and, and John gets a vision of, of what is going on in the Divine Council. So we look forward to that. Hope to see you here, Lord willing, tomorrow.